Hey, welcome to uh, Renaissance. If this is your first time here, it's a little different, isn't it? You know, think back to your first time at Renaissance. Uh, what were your first impressions? My first time here at Renaissance was November 5th, uh, 2006. And that was the first time I had ever been to a church that was anything remotely like Renaissance. Uh, The churches, I'd probably been to, I don't know, maybe two dozen different churches in my lifetime. I had been a member of uh, three, four, five different churches, grew up in Connecticut, so I went to some churches there, lived in Princeton for 25 years, was really in the same church there for about 25 years. I went to a couple different churches when I was in graduate school in Dallas and and just visiting friends and stuff. You go to all sorts of different churches, and there was none uh, that was anything remotely like Renaissance. I remember uh, my first day here, and my first impression was you're walking up the street, and it doesn't look like a church. It looks like a restaurant. Well, that's because there's a restaurant downstairs, and there's a bar in the restaurant. I mean, can you have a church above a restaurant? And then you walk up 750 stairs <laughs> to get to the third floor. I mean, they couldn't even put an elevator in this place. And now I'm the executive pastor, and I've probably been asked 750 times, when are we going to get an elevator in this church? I'll let you in on a secret. Don't hold your breath for that one, okay? The city's not too excited about letting us put in an elevator. But uh, so, so you come up to the top of the stairs, and back in those days, it was only three and a half years ago, we didn't have the cafe, and so they're serving coffee and bagels in the back of the sanctuary, except we call it an auditorium, not a sanctuary. Is it still a church if you're drinking coffee and eating bagels while you're listening to the message? I mean, is that allowed in the church? Quick, quick side note here. I'm told by the church historians that the first coffee that was served in Renaissance Church for, I don't know, maybe six months or so, actually came from Staples, the office supply store. You know, is right there between the trash bags and the paper cutters, I think. Um, but then Steve Young came, and we got some real coffee instead of the stuff that comes from Staples. And it's pretty good coffee. But, you know, are you allowed to have bagels and coffee in church? That was beyond my experience. I didn't, you know, <laughs> I didn't think you were allowed to do that in church. How about the music, okay? I mean, we got electric guitars. We got drums. We got guys with facial hair in the booth making these lights move. And, you know, is that allowed in church? And then people applaud, you know, they applaud after the songs. Churches I went to, you did not applaud. Well, okay, you could if it was the little kids choir up front singing. You you were allowed to applaud for that. But for the other people, you weren't allowed to do that. And the songs that they were doing at this church, the first day, it was... um, Ironic by Alanis Morissette, which was kind of ironic because if you know the song, you know that she doesn't really understand what irony is, but we'll leave that aside for a minute here. (laughs) Are you allowed to do secular music in church or is it supposed to be music that was like written by a bunch of dead white guys, you know, like 500 years ago, played on a pipe organ or maybe a piano that's slightly out of tune and sung by someone who is mildly tone deaf? I mean... (laughs) We got the, the, the guys and women that we got doing the music here, they know what they're doing, you know? I mean, it's not Rich and Clay singing and playing. These people know 
what they're doing. They sound good. And so we applaud, you know, because we're, we're grateful for the gift that God has given them. And then my second visit to this church, there was a financial report at the end of the service. That's okay. I was used to that. You, you, you do that in other churches. But they applauded for the financial report. Only in Summit, New Jersey, do they applaud for the financial report. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the day when you guys applaud the announcements, okay? You know, and, like, and speaking of the announcements, you know, Rich used his new iPad, and he resisted. Jay had to point that out. Rich resisted telling you about his iPad, but the next time he gives his message, is it okay for him to read the Bible off of his iPad in church? I mean, is that allowed? Stop and ask yourself. It's different here. Is it really church if you've got all these things or, or what? I mean, what is the core of church? When I started coming to visiting Renaissance, you know, I was checking it out because we were considering whether or not I was going to be the executive pastor here, and I had to stop and kind of rethink my whole approach to church, you know? Is church what you eat and drink when you come in or the lack thereof? Is church the style of music or the quality of music? Is church whether you applaud or not? You know, what is at the core of church? What's the bottom line? What is church really all about? And and in order to answer that question, I want us to go back really to the first church, to the early church, to that first group of followers of Jesus who were gathering together in those days on a daily basis and eventually became really more of a, a, of a weekly basis, who were gathering together to worship God uh, in the midst of a very different culture. If you're not familiar with uh, much of the New Testament, you may not know that the first Christians were actually Jews. They were Jewish people who had come to believe that this carpenter named Jesus, who had died and risen again, they had come to believe that this Jewish rabbi named Jesus was their Messiah. And they were excited about their relationship with him. And so they started meeting together, uh, really just within weeks uh, of the time that Jesus died and rose again. And so I want to take a look at Acts chapter 2 and verses 42 to 47, where we see uh, Luke writing about those, that first group of uh, followers of Christ. And he says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers, that's the followers of Christ, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's the Jewish temple courts. So they're just meeting there uh, in the Jewish temple like they were used to. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you kind of take all of that and put it together and ask yourself, what would those early followers of Christ have said is the core of the church? They would have said, you know what? We are a Christ-centered community. That's what we're about. We're a community 
a community of followers of Christ who are focused on him and who love one another. Let's take a look just at at a few different aspects of of the way that they conducted their lives, the way that they worshiped God, the way that they lived together in community. Their devotion uh, to Christ was was, uh, seen in several different things. First of all, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So what are the apostles? Who are the apostles? The apostles were the guys that had been with Jesus every day for like the past three and a half years. When Jesus was on the earth, when he was doing his ministry on the earth, there were 12 guys, 11 of whom survived until this time. So these, these 11, these 12 guys were with him every day, hearing what he had to say, seeing how he lived his life, doing life together with Jesus. And so when the early followers of Christ wanted to know, hey, I want to know what Jesus is like, because most, many of them at least didn't know him. They may have heard him speak, but they didn't have that kind of a personal relationship with him. They went to the apostles and said, tell us about Jesus. You know, what was he like? What was it like to live with him? What did he teach? What did he say? How should we live our lives as followers of Christ? So, the apostles told them, and so they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament. Why? Because the apostles hadn't written it down yet. But over, over the coming years, the apostles wrote down what they knew about Jesus, what he had taught and what he was like and how he had lived and how we ought to live in light of that. And so then we have the New Testament. And so we have, as Rich was talking about last week, we have the apostles' teaching preserved for us in the New Testament so that we can know who is Jesus and what does it mean to be a follower of him. So we here at Renaissance, we're like the early Christians, like the early followers of Christ. We are devoted to the apostles' teaching as we spend time in the Bible. As Sunday mornings, you hear we hear a message that comes from the Bible. That's why we do it because we want to know more about who Jesus is and how we can live in light of the fact that we have a relationship with him. Luke also says they were devoted to prayer. They spent time praying on a daily basis, both as individuals and as a group. They're praying to God. They're coming before him and saying, God, this is what's on my heart. Here's my need. You know, work in my heart to, to give me the kind of love that you have given me. You know, I'm having difficulty in my relationship with so-and-so. Help me out with that. Um, I lost my job. Help me out with that. Help me to know more of who you are and to become a, a better follower of you. They're praying on a regular basis. That's part of their devotion to God. And they're praising God as well. You know, kind of like we did this morning. They didn't have electric guitars but they had instruments that they would use. Uh, you look at the Psalms in the Old Testament. Talks about praising God with cymbals. We praise God with cymbals. Talks about praising God with stringed instruments. We praise God with stringed instruments. You know, maybe a little different kind of instruments than they had then. But that's what we're doing. We're praising God. We're worshiping Him, like those early followers of Christ did. So maybe it looks a little bit different here at Renaissance than what we're used to. But at the core, it's really the, pretty much the same thing that they were doing in the early church. They were devoted to God. And it showed 
in their relationships with one another. Not only were they devoted to God, but they were also devoted to one another. John chapter 13, Jesus talked about the importance of having relationships with one another, of loving one another. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As we grow in our understanding of who God is and of the kind of love that he has for us, we're going to grow in our understanding of how to love one another. As, as the love of God works in our hearts, as we grow in our appreciation for that love of God, as we experience the kind of sacrificial love that God had for us, the kind of love by which he himself gave everything, gave his life for us on the cross, dying and rising again. As we experience and appropriate and embrace that love, that's going to flow through us and out of us into our relationships with other people. And that's what was happening for those early followers of Christ. They loved each other because they had been taken hold of by the love that God had for them. They'd meet together and talk about their faith. They'd share their meals together. And for them, breaking bread, that phrase, breaking bread together, that's kind of like today inviting someone into your kitchen just to have a meal with you and saying, hey, go to the fridge and get whatever you want. You don't do that with people who you're just an acquaintance with. You don't do that with people who you have a formal relationship with. You do that with people who you're close to, who you trust, who you love, who are kind of like part of your family. And that's the kind of relationships that these men and these women had with one another. They were so devoted to one another that they were willing to sell their possessions and give to whoever whoever had need. We think about how does that apply to us today? You know, is, is Luke saying we need to sell all of our possessions and, and give to each other? I mean, maybe. There may be a time when it's appropriate to, to, to sell something and, and use the money to help somebody else. But if you stop and think about it, would that be really a meaningful way to show love to most of the people around you? I mean, do the people around you really need your money? Is that what we need? Back then, they did. Back then, and in other cultures around the world, in other places, maybe even the United States, the greatest needs that people have are financial or material or physical. But our needs, at least in this community, are probably somewhat different. There may be some where there's a financial need, and yeah, in that case, maybe the, the, the way to show them the love of Christ is to give them uh, something financially or give them something materially. But think about this. If you and your wife or your husband want to go out on a date, you got any trouble affording the restaurant? You got any trouble affording the babysitter? No, you can afford the restaurant. You can afford the babysitter. The problem that you've got is that you can't find a babysitter. You don't have someone to, to stay with your kids, you know? How meaningful would it be to you if someone came to you and said, you know what, I think you and John or you and Jane, you need to spend a week together and my husband and I, or my wife and I, we're going to take your kids for the whole week. That would be a way to meet a real need that you have. 
you're, you're struggling with depression. Your marriage is not what you know it ought to be. Uh, your kids are just driving you nuts. I don't know, whatever it is that's going on in your life, you can afford to pay a psychiatrist to talk to, but is that what you really want? Or do you really want a friend, someone who knows you so well that they can tell that something's wrong with you, that something's going on in your life, that something isn't right, and they say, hey, John, or hey, Mary, how's your marriage doing? Or how are things with your kids? And you're not offended by them asking that question, that you're grateful that they're asking that question because you know that they love you and they care about you and they want to be an instrument in, uh, in God's hands in your life to help you to grow and to help you to overcome that struggle. Our greatest needs in this community are typically not financial. They're relational. They're community. It's not that we lack money. It's that we lack those relationships. It's that we lack that kind of community that these guys, that these women had in that early church, that those early followers of Christ had. And that's the kind of thing that I think all of us would want is to have those kind of relationships. The first followers of Jesus cared deeply for one another and it showed in the way that they gave themselves to one another. For them, it was financial. For us, maybe it needs to be time or maybe it just needs to be that listening ear or that person who's going to say, hey, let's go off and have fun. Come on over for a game night and let's just play... Let's go play golf. Let's go take a walk. Let's go to a movie together. Let's just do some life together and experience together the kind of love that God has for us. What I think is so cool as you read uh, this section in Acts chapter 2 is, is the love that they had for God, the love that God had for them spilled out into their relationships with one another and the people around them noticed it. And that is so amazing. Verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, it says that they were enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. People saw the kind of relationships that they had with one another. And people were saying, hey, I want to have that kind of a relationship with other people. I want to know more about this God whom you're worshiping. Because I don't have that and I don't have which you have. Tell me more about it. As I was thinking about this, this uh, passage this week, I realized a lot of these people probably knew each other before they became followers of Christ. I mean, this was part of the Jewish community there in Jerusalem. They're going to the temple. They're going to synagogue on, on a weekly basis. A lot of them knew each other, but they didn't have those kind of relationships until they had that relationship with Jesus Christ. It wasn't until they became followers of Christ that their lives and their relationships were transformed. But when that happened, the people around them noticed it, and the Lord was adding to their number on a daily basis. As, as I think most of you know, I was a chaplain at Princeton for about 13 years, and Princeton has uh, an unusual feature to its academic calendar, in that finals are after Christmas. And I think it's probably just about the only school where they do that. And some people love it, some people hate it, but it is what it is. And one of the 
offshoots of that is there is a week-long break at the last week of January, just before, just after finals and before classes restart for the spring semester, <clears throat> excuse me, in February. And uh, we would take about 100 or so students every year on a ski trip up to New Hampshire and Vermont. And most of those who came were uh, followers of Christ who were just wanting to hang out with one another, and we would have some messages in the evening and fun and games and all that sort of stuff. And they'd, uh, often people would say, hey, can I bring one of my friends? And we'd say, sure, bring your friend with you just as long as they understand that there's a spiritual aspect to this trip. You know, we're going to be talking about Jesus and, you know, they're welcome to come along as long as they understand that it's not just about the skiing, it's about the, the spiritual nature of the trip as well. So every year there would be one or two or three or four, half a dozen or so folks who were not followers of Jesus who decided they wanted to come on the trip. And, uh, Almost every year, and I remember the first time it happened, I was amazed. At the end of the week, one of the guys who was not a follower of Jesus stood up and said, I came here because I wanted to go skiing, and I had a great time skiing. I had a lot of fun with you guys. But what I didn't expect and what I found is that you guys have a community, a community where you love each other, And I want to be part of that. I want that kind of love. And I expected him to say, I was so impressed by the way you loved me, so I want to get to know you and your God better. He didn't say that. He said, I'm so impressed by the way you love each other that I want to get to know you, and I want to be part of your community, and I want to get to know this God who you love, who loves you. And just about every year, within a week or two or maybe a month or two of that ski retreat, one or two or more of the students who came who were not followers of Christ would come and say, you know what? I decided I want to be a follower of Christ and it's because I saw the love that you guys have for one another. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's the kind of community that they had back in the first century. And that's the kind of community that some of you have with one another. And I think that in some sense, all of us would like to have with someone and with others in our lives. So where are you today? You know, where do you find yourself? Was today your first day coming up those uh, 750 stairs and drinking the coffee and eating the bagels, you know? Um, Maybe that's what you're doing. You're just sitting there, you're drinking the coffee, you're listening to the music, and you're saying, wow, this is church? (laughs) I didn't expect anything like this. I think I'm coming back. I'd say, absolutely, and I am so glad, and I hope that you will come back But I hope that you'll realize and you'll understand that while the coffee is great and the music is incredible, and if you haven't seen the second floor, you need to check it out because it's just really cool down there. It kind of looks like a a scene out of Disney. I hope you'll realize that all that stuff is just the trimmings. And we could take away the coffee, and we could take away the bagels, and we could take away the electric guitars, and we could take away the second floor, and we would still be a church because we got Jesus and we have one another, because we have a Christ-centered community. And our hope and prayer is that you'll hang around, check it out and get to know Jesus better and get to know us as well, because that's what we're all about. And the, the coffee and the bagels and stuff are great, but ultimately at the core, we're a Christ-centered community. And others of you are kind of like me the first time I came here, and you're saying... Look at the coffee and listen to the music, and this is a church? I don't know about that. I'm not so sure, because 
this ain't like anything I've ever seen before. It's true. We got coffee. We got electric guitars. We got a pretty amazing uh, Disney-like second floor. But we got Jesus too. And that's what's most important to us. Yeah, the coffee's nice and the guitars are cool. But ultimately, what is most important to us as I know if you're a follower of Jesus, what's most important to you is that we are followers of Jesus who know the love that he has for us. And as a result of that, we want to share that love with those around us. So wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're just starting out or whether you've been a follower of Jesus for perhaps your whole life, we want you to join us. We want you to be involved with us. We want you to take that next step and grow closer to him. We want you to to explore, to investigate, to find out who is this God? Who is Jesus? And how can I have a relationship with him? We want you to engage. We want you to grow in your relationship with God. And we want you to grow in your relationship with others, with those around you, both your family members, but also with the people here at Renaissance. And we want you to have the opportunity to express your faith, to live it out, to show other people the love that God has shown you, maybe by offering to babysit for them, maybe by hanging out with them, maybe by saying, hey, I know you're going through a tough time. You want to talk? And if not, I'll just pray for you. Or you want me to pray with you? Whatever it may be, we want to provide opportunities and environments where you can explore, where you can engage where you can express, where you can take that next step and gain a deeper understanding of the kind of love that God has for us. And as you do that, I guarantee, as we grow in our relationship with God and our understanding and our appreciation for the love that he has for us, it's going to flow through us into our relationships with one another. Renaissance is a Christ-centered community. Our first and foremost allegiance is to our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And because of that, we have an allegiance and a devotion and a love for one another. And my hope and my prayer is that you guys will experience that in your lives and as your friends and your relatives and your neighbors see that in you. My hope and my prayer is that they will be drawn to Jesus that they'll be drawn to this community, not to become part of this community for the sake of our numerical growth, but ultimately so that they can join us in praising Jesus and in growing in their relationship with him. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your sacrificial love towards us. And I thank you that we can experience that as we grow in our relationship with you. And Father, I pray that as we grow in our understanding of the kind of love that you've shown us in Jesus, I pray that you would work in our hearts and increase our love for one another, for our family members, for our friends, for our coworkers, but also for the people we're sitting next to here at Renaissance. And I pray that as we more and more develop into the kind of community that you want us to be, Father, I pray that that would be contagious. I pray that others would see that and be drawn to that, not so that they're drawn to us, but ultimately so that they're drawn to you and can join us in worshiping you and in praising you and in honoring you and in glorifying you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.